Welcome to extraterrestrial reality. You know, the entire idea of an extraterrestrial presence here on Earth, to a lot of people, it's it's very uncomfortable. Uh, the whole reality, is a, it's an uncomfortable truth of our existence, and that's really what's happening here. That's why there are many among us who refuse to admit it or uh, refuse to even think about it, uh, and some of us who actually completely outright deny it. Um, but really, it's what it is. It's basically we're some of us, right, are just uh, we're being stubborn. We don't want to face this reality. It's an uncomfortable truth. Um, you know, just recently, I guess it was uh, probably about a week and a half ago. Uh, actually, it was yeah, it was two. Uh, today it's Tuesday right now, so it would have been uh, two Saturdays ago. You know, I was chewing on a soft cookie, a soft cookie, right. And next thing you know, I, I felt something like like it's it, like it sounded like a snap in my mouth, like one of my teeth. It sounded like something snapped. And the next thing I knew, I it felt like I was chewing on a little piece of uh, filling. Uh, that, that's that's what it was. A little piece of filling came out of one of my back, the, the tooth in the back of my head here on the top, on the top left. Um, and so I'm, I'm I'm thinking, okay, maybe just the filling came out. There was there was no pain at first, but about an hour later, I felt some pain. Uh, but I knew by the by the way it, the way the sound happened, like it it it, it felt worse than just a uh, than just a piece of filling coming loose and coming out. It was more than that, and uh, you know I I, I didn't want to accept it. I didn't want to face that reality. Like here we go now, I got to go to a dentist and all that kind of stuff. So I was thinking, well, that maybe it'll be okay by tomorrow, you know. And the next day it was a Sunday, and it was was still hurting me. You know, it was you know it was just like a, it wasn't bad pain or anything. It's just, you know, I still have the issue here, but it wasn't bad pain or anything. And then Monday rolled around. I was like, oh, I'll give it one more day before I go calling the dentist up. You know, I'm I'm hoping that uh, you know I'm thinking that's maybe nothing, nothing really to worry about here. Maybe it's, it's only a filling, and there's no big deal here. But again, it, it was a, I didn't want to face the truth of the situation, the uncomfortable truth. Right, and then finally on that Tuesday, uh, a week ago today, I had contacted the dentist and I said, uh, you know, I, I need an appointment. I think something, I, I think a filling came out in one of my teeth, even though I was thinking it was probably something worse. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go there yet. I didn't want to face that reality. And of course, when I went in, I was told what I really expected in the bottom of my heart. I knew it was going to be worse than just uh, a filling coming out. Right? It was basically the tooth, the the, the top back tooth in the left side of my head um basically split in half so now i now i have to go to a specialist to get it removed and you know and i gotta think about do i want to get an implant or anything like that i don't know uh, i already do have an implant for one of them in the front I and mean, it's just a lot of lot you know uh, pain in the butt for anybody out there who ever had to do something like that but again the point of this whole the talk is the fact that i i just didn't want to face it you know it was an uncomfortable truth i knew it was more than just a filling i mean i knew it right when it happened you know i was thinking that that sounded bad but i tried to kidding myself i was thinking no no, no maybe it's just a filling i didn't want to face reality and basically the, the truth of the situation now you know, of course the truth is what and in the end that's what we have in the end of all of this there's always the truth <clears throat> it always ends that way you're faced with the truth of the situation and the truth is that tooth snapped and i gotta get it pulled out of my head and it's gonna suck but uh yeah i, I finally came to terms with the situation though i had to i was forced to 
But again, I think that that's what's going on here with this extraterrestrial reality, the situation, the the fact. There's no question that there's there's a presence here on this planet, and it's that's not human and has more intelligence than human beings have, and they're way more technologically advanced than human beings. And I think a lot of people, there's a lot of people out there, right? There's people, the kind of people I would imagine who listen to this podcast are people who. Uh, are very interested in this subject and believe in it or are close to believing in it, right? Uh, I would imagine most people are... <laughs> I, I can't imagine a lot of skeptics coming here, right? Uh, and, and listening to this podcast. I just couldn't see it. I mean, why would you... You wouldn't want to hear the truth. The truth is... It, it hurts. It's 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 uncomfortable. This truth is uncomfortable. And it really is. Even for people like me who believe in this, there are some days where it's like, man... You know, I don't. I don't like this idea of an extraterrestrial presence on this planet. I really don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. It really does. I mean, when you when I think about what's happened in the past and just in my own life, you know, I wonder. You know, I talk about that situation when I was a kid a lot, where the thing showed up in my room like that. I mean, I don't like that. I, I mean, as far as I know, it hasn't happened again, right? But how do I know it hasn't happened again? Maybe I just don't know that it's happened. Maybe it's happened numerous times. You know, and I just don't remember those times. The only time I remember was that one time when I was a kid. And it just scares me that the power that these things have over us. So it's, it is very uncomfortable to think about it. It's, it's an uncomfortable reality, and, and I, I don't like it. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I come on here and I talk about it and everything. And, and you'll see there's all kinds of people who, who accept the reality of extraterrestrials. There, there's a different group out there, uh, and uh, I know some of them. And they're very positive. They think that these these beings are here on some you know, mission of peace and, and kindness and love. Uh, I'm, unfortunately, I don't see it that way. Of course, as anybody listens to my podcast, uh, I, I think I think the, I think I'm trying. I try to take as much of a realistic approach to this as possible, and I base everything I talk about on on data that's been compiled by researchers who've looked into this. And all of that, you know, all of that research, all the, all all of the evidence that's compiled by different, that's been put together by different people over time, you know, I look at that and, uh, you know, and and I, I and I mix that in with my own experiences, and you know, I come I come to the conclusion that there's no question that there's an extraterrestrial presence here. But just because I'm pro extraterrestrial presence here doesn't mean I'm uh, I'm really happy about it. I, I don't I don't you know to me it's very it's an uncomfortable idea. Uh, I mean we really don't know why they're here. I mean we speculate all the time and uh, a lot of the evidence points to something that doesn't seem pleasant. You know when you consider alien abduction and things like that, hybridization program. I mean that stuff. You you wish. I mean, actually, anybody who, who who's into this, right, who studies this, that it's not something that anybody's happy about at all. It's just that we're facing. Some of us have the ability to just say, "Yeah, we gotta face this. It's an uncomfortable truth, but it's the truth." You know, it's just that's what's happening. There's just there's just too much evidence, right? I mean, there's all different kinds of people out there. Again, there's uh, uh, and there's also people out there who. You really don't say much about this subject at all. They, they, whatever they think about it, they keep it to themselves. They, they, they internalize it. Um, you know, you, you come across people like this sometimes when, when the subject is brought up. You know, either they'll say nothing at all, and you don't even know what they think. And uh, and there's also there's different kinds of people who completely uh, enthusiastically are, are, are laugh at it, like they think it's funny and ridiculous. I think that's more of a defense mechanism 
for a lot of them. Uh, uh, because, I mean, again, if, when you consider, I mean, I, I can't see how everybody, most people should have been exposed by, uh, to this point by some of the, the harsh realities of the extraterrestrial reality. I mean, uh, it, it'd be too tough to try to avoid that. I mean, just because most of the time mainstream uh, newscasters will laugh and chuckle about it online, there has to be something else out there somewhere in the media. There's always some place uh, in the media out there that's trying to deliver a different message about it. For instance, all these documentaries you see on different uh, channels, cable channels. Uh uh, so I, I just think a lot of people are exposed to the reality, but most of them just don't want to go there. They don't want to think about that. That's They have enough on their plate, and that's understandable too. I mean, there's just so much on our plate the way it is in this in this uh, oh, weird and wild life that we, we all lead. There's a lot of different things that we have to worry about as, as you know, just to get through this life. I mean, we can't sit around constantly. Most people can't. I mean, just thinking about... Uh, uh, alien visitation or extraterrestrial abduction or whatever right you, you just can't do that so basically uh most people just uh uh you know they they have to push it away because it, it's just too much it's too much on their plate and they can't they don't want to think about it they don't want to face it and i think a lot of these people who really don't comment about it uh, that's probably what they're thinking is like, you know, I, you know, this could be something and I may, I may need to deal with this. I may need to think about this. Uh, but I can't, I, I don't want to, I don't need to concern myself with this. And so they just, they don't, they don't really comment on it and they just pretend it's not happening, even though inside they know that there's probably something going on and, but, uh, but they don't, they know enough and that's, that's as far as they want to go. They don't want to go any further. They don't need it. They don't want to see any more evidence. I mean, think about some of the, and then you go to the uh, the people who who are constantly following debunkers, like people who have to constantly, and I've talked about this before, people that need to have that assurances, you know, they need assurances uh, that there's nothing to this all the time. Like, I don't understand that. I mean, uh, if it's so crazy, like they make it sound, then why even bother, you know, talking about it at all? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. To me, that, that, that's a sign that uh, they're... They're, 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 they, need, they need to do that for themselves to make it seem because and then not only with themselves but the the debunker gives them or is telling them what they need to hear and plus all that are comrades who are right right there side by side with them they all need that uh, you know uh, support from each other to say yeah there's nothing to this all these people are crazy who are talking about it so yeah okay everything's fine in the world and again it's just because I, I believe again what's going on here it's just an uncomfortable truth of our existence that there is something here and it is uncomfortable i mean the idea right that i mean these things could interfere with your life at any time and there's absolutely nothing you could do about it i mean it's been uh, time and time again there's been so many different reports people have talked about this how these things could show up at any time it doesn't mean a lot of people have this idea in their head that it's only in the middle of the night when people are sleeping that aliens show up and abduct them no it happens it could happen in broad daylight it happens all different times it's always unexpected, and, and nobody who's experiencing this wants it to happen. Um, and a lot of them, a lot of these people who experience it don't even talk about it. It takes them a long time before they, they even want to face it, just like the situation with my tooth. I mean, I just didn't want to face that. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that reality. 
But if you're an alien abductee, it could be it's the same thing. It's like, oh my god, you know. So you're if you're one of the, so it's like certain abductees have enough. They like they're somehow some of them for whatever reason are able to retain memories. Their me their memories ain't getting com getting completely wiped for some reason, and and they're having some recall of of their abduction experiences or their interaction with aliens. And and so. They know something's going on. They they they're losing time, whatever, right? And they know something's happening. And they just they they know they have an idea what it is, right? But they don't want to face. It. And then finally, some of them will finally go see somebody, and they'll talk about what's going on with that person, with the well psychiatrist, you know, and 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 possibly uh, uh, get hypnotized, and you know, find out what else has been going on. Just because they they want to face it, they want to realize, they want to know. Okay, is this really happening, or am I going crazy? Then they find out that they're not going crazy, that it's really happening. And some, I mean, you would think if you're if you're somebody like an alien abductee, I think a lot of times you'd probably wish, I wish I was go, was going crazy, and that there was a pill I could take to make the craziness go away. Because yes, it's a very uncomfortable truth. This whole thing is an uncomfortable reality. It is not anything that anybody wants to have to deal with. Uh, I mean, in reality, I, mean, I, I talk about it here all the time. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, but at the same time. You know, and I think this goes for probably any, anybody who's who listens to this podcast. I would imagine at the same time, there's 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 something scary about it. It's an uncomfortable thing, but we're facing it, and I'm facing it, and I'm talking about it, and I'm putting it out there. Um, I I understand in a way. Okay, if the government right now, you know, I've been talking about this recently. The government seems like. It's pulling back a little bit. It doesn't. It doesn't think the time is right, and and maybe they are right for doing that. I don't know. Uh, again, I don't have enough data in front of me. I don't understand. They know more than I do about this, so you know, I guess they know best. Uh, but at the same time, we still have to acknowledge this reality. I mean, there's something. There's a presence here, despite any kind of you know noise from the other side, from the skeptics. It doesn't really matter. They don't. They don't really. I mean, they're, they're avoiding this reality. They don't want to go. They don't want to go there. It's just too much for them. It's too much. Uh, there's too much to concern them. Again, I, I really believe this. You know, I really believe that uh, what's happening here is that the reason we have not faced this yet. I mean, and we actually, like I said this before, we don't even need the government, but the human race could still face this reality, right? The reason we're not facing this yet because most of us just aren't ready, and 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 a lot of us, and a lot of those people who aren't ready, they know it's something out there. They know it's boiling there in the background, right? It's the elephant in the in our existence. Right, not in the room. It's the elephant in human existence just hanging over us right now. There's an extraterrestrial presence here. On top of all the other things that are going on in this crazy world that we live in, on top of all the politics, on top of all the wars that we're fighting, on top of everything, everything that's going on here, all the worries you have about your bills, how are you going to pay the heating bill next week? And look at the price of gas yesterday. I mean, of all those worries, right? People are in your life who are sick or, or ha are going through problems or, you know, all those problems on top of all of that stuff we already have on our plate, there's the extraterrestrial presence. It's a lot to deal with. It's a lot to deal with. It's, it, and it makes everything else seem much more complicated. And that, I believe, is why uh, a lot of us don't want to face this reality. It's an uncomfortable truth and we want to stay away from it for as long as we possibly can. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about exactly, precisely the moment of time when the United States cover-up of the extraterrestrial reality began.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Okay, we are back. Okay, I want to talk about uh, the the moment in time, the the, the little period in time when actually uh, the the direction of the world was altered uh, for the past seventy five years. Actually, the, it was at this moment in time. It was in July of nineteen forty seven when it happened, uh, and I want to talk about that little snippet in time. Uh, and anyway, let, let's go back to June twenty fourth of. 1947 that's actually really when uh that, that's the the preface to this to, to, the preface to the cover-up is actually starts on june 24th 1947 i'm just going to read this little snippet from wikipedia to just uh refresh everyone's memory about what happened on that day the kenneth arnold ufo sighting occurred on june 24th 1947 when private pilot kenneth arnold claimed that he saw a string of nine shiny unidentified flying objects flying past Mount Rainier at speeds that Arnold estimated at a minimum of 1,200 miles an hour. This was the first post-World War II sighting in the United States that garnered nationwide news coverage and is credited with being the first of the modern era of UFO sightings, including numerous reported sightings over the next two to three weeks. Arnold's description of the objects also led to the press quickly coining the terms flying saucer and flying disc as popular descriptive terms for UFOs. Okay. So on June 24th, 1947, that's basically when it all started when uh, Kenneth Arnold was flying over Mount Rainier and he saw these nine strange objects, flying saucers. Uh, uh, he described them as saucers skipping over uh, water. If you were to you know, fly out a, a Frisbee like you know, over water and away it would skip on water. That's what he described it as. And uh, uh, actually, they weren't really completely saucer-shaped. They were more crescent-shaped. Uh, but a lot of these objects that were being seen at the time were disc-shaped. There was actually disc shapes that were seen actually before this. Um, but it was actually this story, though, that really launched the entire uh, you know, the, the entire acknowledgement of, of people within the world that, hey, hey something strange seems to be going on out there. Now, uh, just before I even go there, 
uh, even in the year before, 1946 in uh, Sweden, there was these reports of these silent objects floating, flying over uh, Sweden. They were called they called them ghost rockets. Nobody ever figured out what those things were. So it started then, but that wasn't nearly as big of a story as when this Kenneth Arnold, uh, you know, made his claim. Because after that, it was like the the floodgates opened up. I was going through some old newspaper articles. Um, here's one from uh, fr- from the uh, Montreal Gazette uh, from June 30th, 1947. Now this is a few weeks after, or this is just not even not even a week after. Uh, what six days after um, the sighting of Kenneth Arnold, uh, there was reports all of a sudden all over the place. And here's just one example. It says here. Flying saucers blanket the West from Vancouver to the heart of Texas. Westerners were seeing flying saucers almost everywhere today, from Canada to Texas, and a red-hot controversy raged about it all. Kenneth Arnold, Boise, Idaho, flying businessman, started it by reporting that he saw nine mystery objects zipping over western Washington last Tuesday at what he estimated was 1,200 miles an hour speed. Experts dismissed his report with statements that no known aircraft could go that fast and that no guided missile tests were being made in that part of the West. Hardly were the words out of their mouths when others began reporting flying saucers and the controversy was on. Well, let's just stop there for a minute. Isn't it funny? Like the skeptics, even back then, right away, experts dismissed the uh, report with statements. There's no known aircraft that can do something like that. And guess what? Furthermore, there's no guided missile tests were being made in that part of the West, so this guy must be lying. Right? So basically, right out of the gate, when this thing started, skeptics jumped on it. Uh, but anyway, hardly were the words out of those skeptics' mouths, according to this article, when others began reporting flying saucers and the controversy was on. There was a similar in all report there was a similarity in all reports the objects were round like a saucer traveling south at a high rate of speed with little or no noise and of such brightness that reflections from the sun were almost blinding so let's just stop there for a second so this is only six days after this and look at what's going on here all the like reports are starting to pour in from different people here we go I'll continue here it says three persons in el paso texas said they had seen them in the last few days two persons in vancouver uh, vancouver british columbia reported some the latest of a score of reports of the, in the pacific northwest came from a seaside oregon woman who said she saw one before sunset saturday night there were two popular theories that the objects were experimental airplanes or guided missiles to which the armed forces will not admit or that they were guided missiles from foreign soil. A spokesman for the Army expressed interest in anything that could go 1,200 miles an hour, but no responsible official or air expert came to the defense of the reports or of the theories behind them. them. Some suggested that perhaps imagination had become the better part of sight. Two Vancouver citizens reported Saturday that they had seen the mysterious round shining objects flying over that city at great speed. William Crody reported that he sighted a silvery object without wings or a tail Friday night. He said it was sinking slowly. A woman who would not permit the use of her name told a reporter she saw some vaporous disc-shaped objects swoop over her, her house a month ago, but didn't tell anyone because people would think I was crazy. So all of a sudden, all these flying saucer stories started popping up all over the place. But they weren't happening in Europe yet. And I, actually, here is an article uh an ap article that appeared uh on july 7th in the salt lake tribune july 7th 1947 in the salt lake tribune oh 
It says here, London laughs at tales of discs seen in the United States. Don't mention those flying saucers on this side of the Atlantic unless you're prepared for an argument about your sanity. Maybe they have been seen by sober citizens over a vast area of the United States, but Europe won't believe in them until somebody lassos one and has it photographed by Frank Sinatra, the British ambassador, and five Supreme Court justices. And here's what some of the newspapers uh, over in London were saying there. America's reply to the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> That's what one of them said here. Uh, Citizens of a country which possesses the atom bomb ought not to be afraid of anything. You remember those stories about rockets streaking out over Sweden, or is your memory so short? So that's what they're, they're basically laughing at us. They were laughing at us over there in... Uh, in London at the time. But there, it's, these stories were all over the place. And by the way, uh, they did start to appear over uh, over the United Kingdom uh, shortly thereafter, as well as all over uh, Europe, including in France. In fact, so this article here says here, Frenchmen even shrugged off the story. Uh, you know, saying, Frenchmen shrugged at the story. Scandinavians grinned good-naturedly, and Englishmen, most infuriating of all, asked Americans about the skyborne crockery, as one might ask a child how his G-Man game was progressing. So basically, everyone over in Europe was making fun of us at that time. But meanwhile, at the, on the same day, right underneath the same articles, uh, there was another report uh, in San Diego, California. Two, two C flying discs. A flying disc was reported Sunday by a San Diego man and his high school teacher sister, who declared it flashed across their vision south of Long Beach between 1.15 and 1.30 p.m. as they were returning here by automobile from Los Angeles. So, so see, and this was, I mean, if you go to look at these old newspapers from, uh, from June and July of 1947, I mean, all different stories. I mean, a lot of them didn't make national news, but you have to go through each of the local store, uh, papers of the time, and you will find that uh, there was UFO reports being reported in newspapers all over the country, all over the country. And of course, as we know, that uh, would soon become all over the world as time went on. But anyhow, uh, that's not what, what I'm, I'm building up here to the to the uh, what I want to really get into here is is the moment in time when the when this whole thing became a secret, when when this whole thing went underground, when the United States government decided that uh, we got to keep this information from the public. And of course, it happened in Roswell. And how do we know this? Uh, well, we know it because uh, for a lot of reasons, from a lot of the testimony from people who uh, some of the witnesses of the Roswell UFO crash, uh, but particularly we could really figure it out right here. Uh, what's really telling was the, the 2002 sealed affidavit of Walter Hout. Uh, Walter Hout, uh, who passed away a few years later, actually, he was uh, stationed at the Roswell Army Air Base. He was a uh, public information officer there in New Mexico in July of 1947. Now, before we get into what he what he states here, we're gonna re I've, I've talked about this affidavit affidavit before, but uh, I'm gonna talk about a different aspect of it here. Um, anyway. Uh, Basically, what happened here with Roswell, as a lot of people know, something crashed there uh, around the 4th of July. There was a big storm, apparently, on the 4th of July, or July 3rd or July 4th. There was a, a big thunderstorm, a lightning storm. And then after it was over, the next day or whatever, uh, there was a, a rancher about 75 miles northwest uh, of Roswell, New Mexico, was in the middle, basically in this ranch that's in the middle of nowhere, basically very all by itself uh 
His name was Mac Brazel. He found all this debris in this field, and 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 so and and all the uh, the, the you know none of the sheep would would cross this area. He needed to take them this roundabout way that added a whole bunch of time to his day. So on Sunday, July sixth, uh, Brazel decided to take the long drive into Roswell to complain about this all this junk that was laying all over this pasture, uh, over this ranch, and he was wondering. He thought maybe. You know, it had something to do with the Air Force. So he went to the sheriff's office, and the sheriff said, well, you know, you should talk to somebody from the Air Force. So they contacted the Air Force, and Major Jesse Marcel, of course, everyone knows Major Jesse Marcel Sr., who in 1978 was the first person basically to, uh, uh, you know, talk about what really happened at Roswell. He was the first person to uh, uh, break the cover, you know, expose the cover-up. Uh, he was the, the top uh intelligence officer at the roswell roswell army air base in 1947 and, and at that time that base was the only was the home of the only atomic bomb in the world so marcel was a pretty smart guy but so anyway marcel and and somebody else one of the this other guy this other uh uh army army guy uh followed Mac Brazel out on July 6th. It was getting late, but they followed him out to the ranch on July 6th. And by the time they got there, it was dark out. So they all slept in this shed, right? And then the next morning, Br Br Brazel took them to the site. Like, uh, Braz uh, Braz or excuse me, Marcel said that if it wasn't for uh, Brazel showing him where this site was, they never would they never would have found it. Be, you know, it was something that he had to lead them to. But anyway, so the next morning on July uh, 7th, uh he he the him and uh brazil and and some other army personnel gathered as much of the material as they could during the day loaded up a, a, a jeep with the stuff right and then uh by the by the evening uh toward the end of the day they finally started driving back into town uh so that by this point it was july uh, monday july 7th so he stayed basically went uh, excuse me july 8th by this point so he stayed there that whole day gathering up materials or gathering up this strange wreckage uh that marcel will later say could not have been made on this earth right and he loaded up the up the jeep and on his way back to the base he stopped and woke up his wife and son jesse marcel jr and uh and showed them some of the wreckage including a piece that had these strange hieroglyphics on it and, and and this other strange metal right he showed them some of the wreckage he was all excited about it, it was like two o'clock in the morning on july 8th so then after that marcel went back to the base and according to how on the on the morning of uh july 8th right on Tuesday morning, this is according to the affidavit, he says, on Tuesday morning, July 8th, I would attend the regularly scheduled staff meeting at 7.30 a.m. And, and with him there was, uh, you know, at the staff meeting was uh, w w uh, Colonel William Blanchard, who was his boss, and also uh, Brigadier General Roger Ramey was also there, and also uh, and his chief of staff, Colonel, Colonel Thomas Du Bois, were, were also uh, in attendance in this meeting, in addition to uh, Marcel and uh, some other uh, uh, personnel. <clears throat> and anyway, it says here, the main topic of discussion was reported by Marcel and Cavett. Sheridan Cavett was one of the, well, it was a Captain Sheridan Cavett with the, with the Army Air Force. Uh, the main topic of discussion was reported by Marcel and Cavett regarding an extensive debris field in Lincoln County, approximately 75 miles northwest of Roswell. A preliminary briefing was provided by Blanchard about a second site approximately 40 miles north of town. So let's just stop there for a second. So on the same day that uh, 
Marcel and Cavett was, you know, had a company, you know, were, were picking up debris with uh, on Brazel's ranch, right, on, on that July 7th. During that day, at some point during that day, the Air Force, Army, Army Air F uh, uh, Force also found out that there was another crash about 40 miles north of Roswell in the desert. <clears throat> and that is where the uh, uh, the main piece came down like a, a, a complete piece with the had the bodies the alien bodies were, were, were there so they're talking about this in the morning and how they're going to handle it this is really interesting it says here a preliminary briefing was provided by blanchard about the second site approximately 40 miles north of town samples of wreckage were passed around the table it was unlike any material i had or had have ever seen in my life pieces which resembled metal foil paper thin yet extremely strong and pieces with unusual markings along their length were handled from man to man each voicing their opinion no one was able to identify the crash debris one of the main concerns discussed at the meeting was whether we should go public or not with the discovery general ramey proposed the plan which i believe originated from his bosses at the pentagon attention needed to be diverted from the more important site north of town by acknowledging the other location too many civilians were already involved and the press already was informed i was not completely informed how this would be accomplished so let's uh and then well, let me just continue and then i'll i'll I'll, I'll stop again. It says, approximately 9.30 a.m., Colonel Blanchard phoned my office and dictated the press release of having in our possession a flying disc coming from a ranch northwest of Roswell and Marcel flying the material to higher headquarters. I was to deliver the news release to radio stations KGFL and KSWS and newspapers, the Daily Record and the Morning Dispatch. By the time the news release hit the wire services, my office was inundated with phone calls from around the world. Messages stacked up on my desk, and rather than deal with the media concern, Colonel Blanchard suggested that I go home and hide out. Before leaving the base, Colonel Blanchard took me personally to building 84 aka hangar p3 a b29 hangar located on the east side of the tarmac upon first approaching the building i observed that it was under heavy guard both outside and inside once inside i was permitted from a safe distance to first observe the object just recovered north of town so he's basically i'm going to stop there for a second so he's looking at the main piece the, the big you know the saucer piece the bigger piece it was approximately 12 to 15 feet in length not quite as wide about six feet high and more of an egg shape lighting was poor but its surface did appear metallic no windows portholes wings tail section or landing gear were visible also from a distance i was able to see a couple of bodies under a canvas tarpaulin only the heads extended beyond the covering and i was not able to make out any features the heads did appear larger than normal and the contour of the canvas suggested just at the size of a 10-year-old child. At a later date in Blanchard's office, he would extend his arm about four feet above the floor to indicate the height. Okay, <laughs> let's just stop there for a second. Um, now, what happened here? Okay, so basically, originally, they were going to let the world know about those about the wreckage that was just recovered at at. Uh, Brazil's rant. They're gonna they're gonna talk about that. They really they really did release that press release, saying they recovered a flying saucer. They, it looks like they were going to just only cover up the part about the the crash site forty miles north of town where they found the the bigger piece and the bodies. 
that was the part they were talking about not telling anyone about but they it seemed like at first you know they were that's what they were doing the, the, the you know nobody had decided obviously in washington yet right what to do the the cover-up did not go into effect yet it was still being talked about how to be in washington because let's figure this out now on that uh what day would it have been it would have been on that uh sunday this uh sunday the 6th when when brazil when uh, brazil first wrote in the roswell he he actually brought a couple of the pieces with him he had a little box full of it so that you know and then that box full was that night was actually put on a plane and sent to the pentagon was sent to washington then at night so so the, the army and people in the pentagon and people at the white house you know they had the ability to, by that night sometime while while uh, jesse marcel uh was driving uh following brazil out to the ranch on the night of july 6th right washington was st just receiving that wreckage so they're looking at this stuff and they probably the scientists are probably looking at it and they still don't know what it is they're probably trying to figure it out what it is and then some some point on july 7th right that's when they find this other site with the with the with the the, the saucer the crash saucer and the, and the bodies they probably still don't know what they're going to do in washington they're they're probably they don't know how what are we going to do about this i guess we 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 have to tell the public about it but we don't have maybe we just keep it secret about the bodies and, and the flying saucer part we'll just talk about the the other wreckage that we've captured a flying saucer but then they i i would imagine at some point right after they released that press release right when that press release was released and and then the stories the phone start ringing off the hook there in roswell somebody in washington realized hey well no, we got to keep this whole thing covered up we got to we got to we got to we, we can't say anything about this they started uh, i i think the realization of what they had what they had finally started to dawn on them it took some time because probably at first it would have been unbelievable the whole onset the whole idea that there was an extraterrestrial beings that just crashed a spaceship on our planet it probably took some time for that to sink in and then after it did finally sink in that's when they all realized we gotta we gotta cover this up we can't let the world know about this that's when that's when it started so the cover-up for that's been ongoing for 75 years actually started on july 8th of 1947 precisely on that day that's when this cover-up uh the ex of the extraterrestrial reality has has was started uh i mean it's interesting when you read uh Hout's, uh by the way i just want to say something about Hout's. uh affidavit here you know this you know a lot of debunkers when this thing came out they said oh he he was uh he had alzheimer's he was senile at the end or he didn't know what he was talking he didn't know what he was signing well uh they the people uh, hout's family and Hout himself made sure uh you know right before he signed this he had a doctor examine him and he gave him a clean bill of health and told and and, re, and reported that he was of sound mind just so any debunkers out there might get any crazy ideas uh no Hout was uh he 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 kept a lot of this he didn't talk about this during his life he felt like uh he couldn't do it he was afraid to do it i guess because you know he he told blanchard back in the day that he would never say anything uh but here you know he wanted to he thought it was important enough that the world should know what happened and, and what what part he played in the roswell thing and that's why he came out with this but it's interesting what's interesting here is uh that you know on that tuesday morning they're talking about how they're going to talk about this with the town basically they were going to basically tell them i mean they were going they thought they were going to tell the world hey we finally got one of these we got one of these flying saucers that everyone's talking about for the last few weeks hey we got one you're probably all happy about it they're all gung-ho about it but at some point at some point the pentagon intervened 
and and said no we got to change tail and actually what's interesting is you know one of the people that's part of this whole roswell story has always been general roger ramey and I, I always looked at him yeah a lot of for the most part i always look at him as one of the villains of this story one of the people that initiated the cover-up but basically he was really no different than uh than jesse marcel i mean R- R- ramey he was he he seemed like he was all excited about it he was at the meeting there they're they're of course okay they're going to cover up the part about the saucer and the bodies and we're going to tell reveal that but they were going to talk about the the other stuff, the stuff that was recovered at, at Brazel's ranch, they figured that everybody knew about it, so we can't lie about the whole thing. But I think they realized, I think the Pentagon realized, oh, we actually do have to lie about the whole thing because this is something from outer space and uh, we need to say it's something, we need to say it's a weather balloon. So I think Roger Ramey, he was actually ordered to cover it up. And, you know, basically Marcel, uh, uh, you know, when he showed up at, at Fort Worth, Texas uh, on, on July 8th, he was originally scheduled to go to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in, in Ohio, but the but the plane was rerouted before he left, and 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 he went to to Fort Worth instead, and he that and there that's where he met with Ramey, and that's when Ramey uh, substituted the real material for the for the phony balloon, and then they the, the, then he invited the press in to take those those pictures that we all uh, have been seeing for the last uh, forty years. So basically, that's what happened. Uh, you know, Ramey was just following orders too from the top. You know, you know, and and just just like Marcel had to follow orders from Ramey. So I mean, that's Ramey's not the bad guy. Whoever was in the in the White House, whoever was in Washington calling the shots, that's who initiated the cover up, of course, and 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 ordered these people to cover it up. And that's when it started, though. It started on July eighth, nineteen forty seven. That's when a decision was made at some point during that day. Uh, that hey, this needs this whole thing needs to be covered up, and we can't let the world know about this. It's just too much. It's we 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 need to we need to sit back, take a few deep breaths, and figure out what we're gonna do. Unfortunately, it's seventy five years later now, and uh, we're still we still have no answers from our government. They're not ready. To, they're not prepared to give us any answers. Um. Anyway, uh, let me just finish this off here. I don't think there's anything else. Um, I need to go over. Uh, no, I think that's a bit. Oh, yeah, it says upon, here's one thing about Marcel. Uh, upon his return from Fort Worth, Major Marcel described to me taking pieces of the wreckage to General Ramey's office and after returning from a rap, map room, finding the remains of a weather balloon and radar kite substituted while he was out of the room. Marcel was very upset over the situ- situation. We would not discuss it again. So that was the last time that these two guys ever discussed that with each other. Um I'll leave links for all these things so you could uh, you could check out the affidavit yourself, um, and also uh, yeah, and those other uh, well those newspaper articles that I can't really leave links for that because you'll have to get a you won't be able to open it up. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you have to pay for it is what I'm saying. You know you have to get a subscription to newspapers.com, so there's no point in providing that. But anyhow, uh, yeah. Well, you know, so what happened there? July eighth, nineteen forty-seven. At some point during that day, uh, in in the, in Washington, probably uh, the realization had had dawned on on these people in the Pentagon that what we're dealing here. At first, they probably were thinking it was something from another country. You know, I don't know which country because at that point in time, I mean, who in God's name could have invented flying saucers? I mean, after what just transpired throughout the world you know from 1939 to 1945 with world war ii and the united states they came out on top 
in every way of that war i mean we were we were technologically superior to anybody at that moment in time uh so there's no way it could have been from one of these other countries uh and it turned out it wasn't it was from outer space and a decision was made at some point where they realized hey well, we got to say it's a weather balloon or something. We got to cover this up. We can't let the world know about this. This is, this is, we need to keep this secret, you know. And maybe it was right at the time. I mean, I don't know how the world would have reacted, but hey, if they would have just told the truth at first, I don't know what kind of world, it'd be a different world we'd be living in right now, probably. Um, I think maybe, I, I think the truth would have been better at first because now they've dug this 75 year long hole and somehow they need to try to climb out of it. Uh, and save face I, I understand the reasons for the cover-up initially but it shouldn't have been covered up as long as it's been covered up it's been 75 years of course is absolutely ridiculous for it uh, as far as i'm concerned but hey again maybe they know more than i do and uh, it's a it's been a good thing anyway i don't know uh but anyway that's what the thing that that's the right there july 8th 1947 that's the day this whole cover-up started 